Pastor Xavier Reese explains what it means to get right with God. The Corinthians that acknowledge the carnality of their lives and sin. The Corinthians had confessed their sins. The Corinthians had abandoned their sins. The Corinthians had made restitution and correction in view of sin. Nothing has changed in the days of Paul, ladies and gentlemen. These things still apply to us. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A popular theme among this generation is the makeover, from the bodies we live with to the houses we live in. We're fascinated with the art of transformation. Well, for the Christian, that theme is nothing new, especially when it comes to being freed from the bond of sin. Well, let's join Pastor Xavier as he reminds us of the beneficial simple truths of complete transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 5 down to verse 13. And the message is entitled, Joy Over Repentance. The joy of Paul was in view of their receiving the word of repentance. The initial reception of it. He didn't know what was going to happen as we stated it. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul expressed his mixed emotions as he had waited to hear about the repentance. Listen, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Huh? (laughs) The Apostle's remorse was over having written the letter, thinking that perhaps it would not accomplish what he thought. Look at 9. The Apostle Paul explained his joy over the repentance. Paul stated his, that he rejoiced now after the fact. So he clears it up. Not over their sorrow, but their repentance. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, turning out for their good. The relationship with God was restored, as well as the relationship with Paul and the others due to the response. Unrepentant sin destroys fellowship with God and man. Repentance restores them both. Now notice in verse 10, the Apostle Paul explained the distinction between the two kinds of sorrows. They produce two different kinds of outcomes. Paul explained first godly sorrow. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Paul building off the previous verse, progresses the argument by saying that godly sorrow produces repentance, resulting in a person being saved. This godly sorrow resulted in salvation, he says. Restoration. Notice Paul stated this kind of godly sorrow over sin, resulting in salvation, listen, is not to be regretted and is not regretted. In other words, you do not think you did the wrong thing. You don't think you made a mistake in repenting from sin. You're glad that you repented. You know you did the right thing. That's what he's talking about. Paul explains next the worldly sorrow. But the sorrow of the world produces death. These two distinct kinds of sorrows are placed in sharp contrast to each other. This worldly sorrow produces, notice, death. Worldly sorrow is remorse. 
or sadness for the wrong done, but leaves God out of the accountability. God's not even acknowledged. Worldly sorrow or remorse does not always regret the wrong, but only regrets the consequences due to the wrong. Worldly sorrow produces death because it does not see sin in the light of God, nor seek the forgiveness from God, so there is no turning from sin. The sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. We have many examples of worldly sorrow, Cain, Esau, Judas Iscariot. A little girl coming in from the flower garden with soiled hands and her dress all dirty and her shoes full of dirt made this uh, refreshing observation. Mother, I know why flowers grow. They want to get out of the dirt. As individuals repent and desire to grow in Christ, their desires are going to get out of the dirt, whatever dirt they're in life. That's why we encourage you to grow, to be the church, to study the Bible, to have your eyes on the Lord, to build relationships with each other, to encourage one another. Very important. Who has not had second thoughts after confronting someone regarding sin, thinking that perhaps they were too harsh or that nothing should have been said? And that's because we're emotional people. And emotions can confuse and distort our thinking. We have to bring our thoughts in captivity. We have to recognize that it's not our standard. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your understanding, for in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. How many have rejoiced to see the repentance of one in sin, knowing that the temporal pain and sorrow were part of the necessary process for the person's true repentance? If we get in God's way, often they go through much more and much longer than they have to. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. When a shepherd um, had a wayward lamb and he would find it, he would break its legs and put it over its neck and carry it until it was healed. And being across his shoulders around the neck, the lamb would be very tuned to the shepherd's voice. By the time the leg was healed, the lamb would never leave him. Tuned his voice. Worldly sorrow will result in emotional regret, producing melancholy and self-pity and self-disgust, accusations, justifications, anger, bitterness, and hardness of heart, only to repeat the sin all over again. Job puts it this way. Listen carefully. Job 15, 16. How much less man who is abominable and filthy? Here's the part. Listen. Who drinks iniquity like water. We just gulp it down. That's our sin nature. We have that potential as Christians. We have sin nature still. So we have to walk in the spirit. Put on the mind of Christ. Put on the armor. Do good warfare. Very important. Where there is godly repentance, there will be no regret of having repented. 
for it will result in the confession and confessing of truth and repentance from sin, seeing the office against God, then against man. Now listen carefully. True repentance must be marked by absolute truth to the injured party so that trust can be restored. Otherwise, if there is something found out after the facts, then trust is undermined and the gaping hole will be worse than at the beginning. This is most important between husbands and wives, that when you acknowledge, make sure you tell truth because it's injury added to insult and it makes a greater hole in the wall than before. Absolute truth. Time does not do away with doubts, suspicions, unanswered questions. They will only grow in time and rob you of your marriage, of your relationships. David put it this way in Psalm 51, 6-8. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. The joy of Paul was in view of their receiving the word of repentance. Their heart was open. Can't happen without that. Notice thirdly, verse 11 through 13. The joy of Paul was in view of receiving the evidence of their repentance. In 11, the Apostle Paul declares some of the fruit that accompanied the godly repentance of the Corinthians. Paul is in fact calling their attention in their defense. He says, For observe this very thing that you sorrow in a godly manner. They sorrow in a godly manner, he tells them. What diligence it produces in you, meaning haste and earnestness to turn from their sin and repent. What clearing? Apologia. We get a word apology from it. What clearing are yourselves? Meaning verbal defense, an answer to rectify themselves. In truth. What indignation? Meaning irritation and vexation regarding the false teachers who attacked Paul and the incestuous situation of the young man in 1 Corinthians 5. They took care of it. You deal with sin. What fear? Phobos. Godly reverence to do what is right with God and with man, in this case, Paul. What vehement desire, literally longing to do what is right. In other words, you're not going to stop till you finish. Procrastination is the enemy of obedience. Tomorrow, it's in our sin nature, it's in our DNA. We can't procrastinate. What zeal? Passionate fervor and spirit to leave nothing undone. What vindication meeting out of justice to resolve themselves and absolve themselves from all guilt. You do it completely. You do it right. Paul is clearing them of all guilt. In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. 
So Paul believed their words and the evidence provided by Timothy. Word and deed is truth. Your words and the deeds become one. The word prove there means to stand together in order to show, verify, establish, or exhibit. Paul convinced, was convinced and satisfied with the Corinthians. Notice that. The word clear there means pure, chaste, free from carnality and fall. Remember Paul told him in 1 Corinthians 3, aren't you carnally unto babe in Christ? I couldn't feed you with meat and milk. With our divisions, and I'm a Paul, I'm a Cephas, aren't you carnal? Notice in verse 12, the apostle Paul then declared the purpose of his writing to them regarding repentance. Paul stated he had not written to them primarily in view of the one who sinned. It almost sounds unbiblical, doesn't it? But he, he's, he's, he has the interest of the whole church in mind. Watch how he puts it. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. The word, therefore, is conclusion. The conclusion of what we talked about here. This is it. The reference is to the first epistle of the Corinthians. Not the supposed severe letter of many modern commentators of today. That Paul wrote a severe letter and uh, after 1 Corinthians, and it's a lost letter, but there's no evidence for that. Not uh, internally in the epistle, nor externally. Okay, it's just a thesis that has been made up. The one who had done the wrong indicates the one who acted unjustly or wicked, resulting in hurt. This has to be the young man who was sleeping with his stepmother. Not the theory that Paul was disrespected and offended by one of the individuals. I can only judge the second letter by the first letter. I cannot try to give some theoretical hypothesis of my opinion about it. You cannot teach from the absence of Scripture. It's very dangerous. Notice Paul then stated that neither had he written to them primarily in view of the one who was sinned against, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong. The one who suffered wrong again indicates the one receiving the unjust and wicked offense, the one receiving the hurt. This has to be again now the father of the young man who was sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. Not the theory that it was Paul who had been offended. Paul told him, to restore that repentant young man in chapter 2 of this letter, verse 5 through 8. Now, what we do know is that Paul did write three letters that we know of. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I told you not to company with fornicators, but not together all together fornicators of the world, but if a brother or sister is a fornicator. We don't have that letter. That's lost. So 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is 3 Corinthians. We know absolutely three letters, but the rest, they're just hypotheses. Could there have been many? Sure they could have, but we don't know, so we don't say nothing. Notice now, Paul stated he had written to them primarily in view of the benefit of the Corinthian church, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. 
Now, Paul is not saying he didn't care about the young man. Paul's not saying they didn't care about the father. He's saying if you, if you have the whole church in mind, you're going to deal with these individual things. And when you deal with the individual sin, the whole church is going to receive the benefit. And that's what you want. He had to back off. He was too close to the tree. He looked back so he can see the whole forest. And he sees if you take care of individual things, then the whole church receives the benefit. You understand? And that's what you want. You want a healthy church. Simple. The word care there means diligence or haste with the idea of earnest overall spiritual interest. The same word as in verse 11 translated diligence. The phrase for you is in the plural indicating all the Corinthians, the entire church. He loved them. They did this in the sight of God indicating before God who knew their motive of love for them. They didn't get caught up with what did they think. I mean, though they, you did go through those emotions and those thoughts, but you have to stick to your guns. You have to go be faithful. You have to be consistent. You have to do what you know is right. The hope and intent was that their care might appear manifest literally as evidence of their love. Now, sometimes people that you confront in the Lord, they think that you're confronted because you're self-righteous. Now, it can be true. Hopefully it isn't. At other times when you confront people, they know you love them. But they're so controlled by their sin that it's difficult for them to open their heart to God. Because they've been masters so much, you understand? So sometimes people think it's love for yourself, and other times people know there's love for them, but they, they're, they're in sin. Therefore, Paul declared the effect on him and others regarding the evidence of the repentance the first part of 13. Listen. Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort. Paul and the others had been comforted by the godly repentance of the Corinthians. What a comfort it is when you see a brother or sister turn. There's people that we've confronted with sin and they've gone years and then when we see them and they've turned and their life has blossomed. What a joy. Then there's other people who have left here on good accounts and just God used them tremendously. Then I run into them or a family member and I find out they've gone back into the world. What a grief. The word comforted and comfort again, key word of the section. From the first chapter all the way through, he uses it. This is the next conclusion of Paul in view of the epistle. The Corinthians had acknowledged the carnality of their lives and sin. The Corinthians had confessed their sins. The Corinthians had abandoned their sins. The Corinthians had made restitution and correction in view of sin. Nothing has changed in the days of Paul, ladies and gentlemen. These things still apply to us. These are the things that are not being taught and preached over the pulpits of America today. It's a grief to think about that. The Corinthians had been reconciled to God their Savior, to Paul their spiritual father, to the body of Christ, the church. A father sat with tears running down his face as he looked at a picture of his son due to the fact that his heart was broken because his son was living in sin and in rebellion to God. Only to one day sit with tears running down his face again as he looked upon the sun, as the sun was pouring over the scriptures in a prayerful attitude. Both times he cried. 
but they were different tears. One was of grief and one was of joy. What a difference. The person who says they have repented but have no fruit of, in their lives to substantiate that claim are either lying or deceiving themselves. John 1, 6-8 says, If we say we have fellowship with him, meaning God, and walk in darkness, we lie and, don't have, and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin at all, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We have a way to stay in a right relationship. First John 2, 1, Jesus Christ the righteous to make intercession for us, our Lord for the defense. I live a life of repentance constantly. I, I had, there was a point in my life where I repented from sin. I was born again. My life was changed drastically. And I live a constant life of repentance to stay right with God. But my life before and now after is completely different. We don't practice sin. The person who has repented from sin due to the fact that someone has confronted them will be the first to know that the motive behind the faithful confrontation was love, for sure after the fact, though sometimes it may be before. Listen to Peter, 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love doesn't wink at sin, ignore sin, confront sin. And once sin is turned from, it's buried. It doesn't announce it from the housetop. The person who benefits the person who confronts the sinning brother or sister and sees them turn, it's a comfort to them because now you know that they are comforted by having turned. They're in fellowship with God. They're in fellowship with the brethren. Listen to James. James chapter 5, verse 19 20, and he's talking about Christians. Listen to the context. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, talking to Christians, and someone turns them back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the errors of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He says he's a Christian who's turned away, wandered away, and he calls him a sinner. He saves a soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. What is it that we don't understand? He's talking about a believer, not a non-believer. Where do you want to live? Beneath the snake line or above it? The choice is yours and mine. The joy of Paul was in view of receiving the evidence of their repentance. Man, this is Paul's expressed joy over the Corinthians' repentance from the threefold perspective. The joy of Paul was in view of receiving word of the repentance. Load off of him rejoicing now. The joy of Paul was in view of their receiving the word of repentance. Rather than hardening their heart, they opened their heart. The joy of Paul was in view of receiving the evidence of the repentance. It wasn't something theoretical. Their words and the deeds were one. 
Do you joy over repentance when people come back? Or do you say, doggone it, I'm be in heaven with them? Pastor Xavier Reese offers straight talk regarding repentance and restoration. And you can request a copy of today's encouraging study called Joy Over Repentance. It's available on CD for just $4. And this message also contains everything Pastor Xavier shared on this subject last time we were together as well. The title to ask for once again is Joy Over Repentance. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's always helpful when you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Did you know for the Christian, the biggest blessing is not receiving, but giving? Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com